and welcome back to Life with Epilepsy. I'm your host, Amanda Robar. Today, I'm going to talk about who epilepsy affects. And guys, epilepsy does not care who it affects. It does not care if you are a newborn infant, if you are a toddler, child, youth, adult, or senior citizen. It does not care. Epilepsy does not care if you are male, female, straight, a lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, queer, or two-spirited. It does not care. Epilepsy is a cruel brain disorder and does not discriminate at all. Every one in 100 Canadians have epilepsy. In the United States, the stats is every one in 26 people. Worldwide, the stats are that 50 million people have epilepsy. 50 million. And those are only the people that we know about that have come forward and sought help. So the number is probably even higher. In order to be classified as having epilepsy, you need to have two unprovoked seizures 24 hours apart or longer. So what happens when that has happened? Well, your doctor will send you to a neurologist or epileptologist. So someone that deals with the brain or epileptologist, someone who deals specifically with epilepsy. Your neurologist or epileptologist will take your history, your age, your family history, medical conditions that you currently have, or maybe you don't have any, and so what brought on these seizures? Who knows? And then decide what course of treatment is best for you. So the first thing that the doctors like to do is try medication. Some people are really lucky and their seizures are controlled by the first medication they try. However, a lot of people, like myself, have tried two medications, also known as AED, anti-epileptic drugs, and when you have tried that second medication and are still having seizures, you are classified as drug resistant. So what on earth do you do in that case when your medications aren't controlling your seizures 100%? Well, there are other treatments out there, other alternatives. One thing the neurologist may recommend is the ketogenic diet or a form of it. Maybe not 100%, but a smaller version of it. 
high fats, low protein. Now, if you are a toddler or really young child, this may benefit you because you haven't really developed all the foods that you really like. But when you're a youth or adult, senior citizen, this can be more difficult. And it's not that you don't want to try, it's that you've already developed what you like to eat. And that was partly the case with me, but also things like dairy, I either don't like or they don't get along with my system. So the ketogenic diet was not for me. Say you're on two medications, you've tried the ketogenic diet and are still having seizures. What next? Well, your neurologist might recommend going into the Epilepsy Monitoring Unit, EMU. During your stay in the EMU, the doctors can see your brain waves because you'll be hooked up to an EEG and there'll be a camera in front of you and they can say, all right, the seizures are starting in this particular location. Is surgery a possibility? Sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't. It all depends on where the seizures are starting, where that major boom, if you will, starts. Again, just like the ketogenic diet, brain surgery is a lot easier for children. And this is because your brain hasn't had as many seizures sometimes, not always, this is not always the case. If you are going for brain surgery, it is because your seizures do not stop. You're having them daily, sometimes multiple daily, sometimes they're large tonic-clonic and last for an extended period of time, and that can be very dangerous. So surgery is probably the way to go. Now I say children because scar tissue hasn't fully formed because the child's brain is still developing and even with that scar tissue, they should be able to, now I'm not a doctor, all right? Depending on the location, it can be easier to remove gray matter which is dead brain, all right? And locate the area where the seizures are coming from and then remove some of the brain. And to some of you, that may sound gross. However, it can be a lifesaver for some people. There are a lot of other tests that you have to go through to see if you are a candidate for brain surgery and what kind 
of brain surgery because there are now multiple different kinds, not just resection. We've come a long way since I was 18 years old. If resection is not possible, there are other devices that can go into the brain as long as it is only one or two locations. And these are the DBS and the RNS. If your seizures are coming from multiple locations, more than two, like mine like to, because mine like to jump around my brain and it's very clever and makes multiple pathways. So that's how good my brain is. The other option, the other option, excuse me, is the VNS. And that is why my voice cuts in and out because I have the vagus nerve stimulator. So they make a little pocket in your chest, put the device in, then make another little slit and wrap the wire around your vagus nerve and connect the wire to the little device. And to give you an idea of what the vagus nerve stimulator is like, it is like a pacemaker for the brain. The downside to having the VNS is that you can't go into an MRI machine and that is a machine that gives really, really good imaging. So that's a bit of a downer, but it is a safety hazard. And this is because the M in MRI is, stands for magnetic. So the VNS is like a magnet, all right? So you would get stuck in the machine and hopefully they'd be able to get you out. I have put on my medical alert bracelet, no MRI, but the other thing that can happen is it can burn you. So what I have been told is that when, if, excuse me, if I need to have an MRI, I need to go down to the Toronto Western where they deal with the VNS device, have it turned off, go into the MRI machine, even though I could still get burned, and then they could come bring me out of it and turn the device back on. Now, they do not like to do that, which is why I have put on my medical records and stuff, no MRI. My doctor even put that in my medical notes. And some of you listening might be doing the happy dance. I know that some people in my family cannot stand MRI machines. They can't stand the sound or the feeling of being claustrophobic. I myself would fall asleep in them. I would put the earplugs in and you would still hear all the banging and everything. But uh, I had them for so many years that 
I was not bothered and they would talk to me and I would wake up and be very startled and would say I was asleep. So yeah, that's just how I roll. Other people might be going, whatever. So the VNS is pretty much when you do not qualify for the DBS or the RNS. It is pretty much the last alternative treatment in terms of machines. And the last thing is cannabis oil. That is more successful in young children than it is with adults. And I did try it before I had the VNS because again, I needed to try something to help with the seizures rather than nothing. And for me, it just made me dizzy and it helped a little with my arthritis, but then it stopped working for the arthritis. So at that time it was not covered and it was like 300 bucks for a little tiny bottle. So I did wind up giving up on that because I did not want to wind up being dizzy and laying on my back 24 seven. But like I said, it's again, kind of like the ketogenic diet, better in children than it is with adults. In earlier episodes, I talked about how epilepsy is not just seizures and medication related. It comes along with a whole slew of things. So mental health challenges like the anxiety, depression, frustration, anger, and, and just a feeling of isolation. Because only someone else who has epilepsy can truly understand the daily struggle of this disease. For kids and youth in school, people with epilepsy are easy targets. I was, and I absolutely hated the school that I was at. And at the end of grade six, I wound up moving schools. So it was nicer, it was better, but even when I moved schools, I didn't want to go out for recess. I would stand by the doors and a teacher would, you know, have to coax me out. Or I would go and help in the multiple exceptionalities class, sorry about that, ME. So children with multiple disabilities that couldn't be in a regular classroom who were integrated for things like music and art but could not be in a regular classroom so I would go and help out there sorry I felt a lot more comfortable going and helping others than I did going out and stepping into the world of the playground it was terrible when you have epilepsy, your thought process is slower. 
my classmates would be finished writing things down from off the chalkboard or the whiteboard. Yes, chalkboard or whiteboard. Yes, I'm aging myself there. I would still be writing when they were done. So getting that hand-eye coordination and trying to read everything, get everything down, was more of a struggle. And the teacher would say, is everyone done? And I would always wind up saying no. So they would have to leave certain sections up so that I could get things done. Then, as a kid and youth, you miss classes because you have to go to the doctor's appointment. And the doctors, neurologists, your specialists, they're typically in the city. And that is an entire day. That's a drive down to Toronto or wherever you live and a drive back. So you have the traffic, you have the doctor, and you don't know how long you're going to be waiting for your neurologist because I like neurologists that take their time with their patients. That's what I like. I don't like being rushed. And although I could be sitting in the waiting room, la-di-da, no cell phone, okay? Bored as all get out as a kid. And wondering, Mom, when are we going to be going and seeing the doctor? All that stuff. It just takes up an entire day. And then all of a sudden, your appointment is supposed to be in the morning. So eventually, you know, 11.45 rolls around, 12 sometimes. You finally get in. Then afterwards, by the time you get out, it's lunchtime. And so you go and you eat something and then you go home and you're stuck in the traffic. So you miss an entire day of school. And typically they would say to you, okay, we want to see you back in four months. We want to see you back in six months. Things like that. Now, thankfully for me, it's every nine months right now because things seem to be as stable as possible knock on wood so that's something and then there were days where you had a lot of seizures I had a lot of seizures and sometimes they were they were bad seizures big seizures and I would wind up going home so it was very frustrating for me because some days I did not want to go home but because I go temporarily blind well a that's not safe and b I get exhausted because my brain is just constantly going firing off those neurons so maybe it was a day that was really fun at school and I didn't want to go home, but I had to. And that, sometimes, it really sucked. And then there were days where I just wanted to go home because of being bullied. So, 
having epilepsy can make you a target. And that's really sad. This next one is not an alternative to medication or to other therapies. This is in addition to. If medication, alternative therapies haven't helped, other devices, DBS, RNS, VNS, have not worked or haven't worked 100%, well, you can look into a service dog. There are two different types of seizure response dogs. So there are seizure alert dogs, and these are gifted dogs, dogs that naturally pick up on the scent of, oh, you're going to have a seizure, and can go and get help or help the person find a spot to sit down, lie down in bed, get to a safe location before the seizure. And then there are seizure response dogs. And that is what I have. I am now on seizure response dog number three. And seizure alert and seizure response dogs, they're classified under service dogs or service animals. For me, my current service dog cable is still training, but really awesome. What helps bring me out of a seizure is when the dog licks my hand. There's something in their saliva that helps someone come out of a seizure. So it usually happens when I'm watching TV and there's pixelation, but it also can happen with heat, stress, you name it. So her licking my hand helps bring me out of a seizure. Now, if we're out in the community, sometimes I can get disoriented. So something that I am working with her now is going around the community different ways, taking different streets, and having her go home with me. So she is also a guide dog in a way. She is also trained to find a seat. So if we're walking around the mall, let's say, or by a playground, and I need to sit down, all right? I have had a bit of a rough go of it, or maybe I noticed that I'm not fully with it or going to be coming out of it, like not completely there, then she will find a seat for me and I will sit down and I can rest and stay safe. So Cable's job is to make sure that I am safe. Something we are working on is pulling the bathtub plug. Now, some of you might be wondering, why does she take a bath? I do prefer them to showers. That's just my preference. But she is there to make sure I'm safe. And she does not like it when I'm in the water. She gets worried. But 
we all have to bathe. It's just a natural thing in life that we have to do. And after very long walks, because that's something I like to do is take long walks, I prefer to get cleaned up. So there are many benefits to having a service dog. All right, it's not just safety. Safety is a huge one. They can also be trained to push an emergency button. So that button that they push can call a certain person or people and have a message like, Amanda needs help. And that person can call and see, do I pick the phone up or do I not? And in that case, well, something's probably wrong. So we should go to Amanda's. But other benefits are your confidence increases. You're happier. Your independence goes up. I could not be living on my own 100% if I did not have my service dogs. It just wouldn't happen. And they can also help calm you down. So in a stressful environment, like in the busy city, excuse me, busy city, transportation, it really, anything that can make your heart rate go up, they can help calm you down. And there is a study that shows that patting a dog, just stroking a dog, can help calm you. And to me, that's just amazing. So I hope that this has been helpful. That knowing that epilepsy does not care about your age, your gender, whether you're part of the LGBTQ uh, 2S, excuse me, community does not care. And the fact that there are a lot of options out there, the medication is what they start with first and then take it from there. So have a great day, great night, and I will talk to you later.